Well, good morning. Uh, this morning's message is entitled, Boast Only in the Cross of Christ. And today we're, gonna, we're going to be finishing out the book of Galatians, starting with um, verse 11. But um, last time we covered verses 3 through 10. And in that message, we talked about how to treat one another, and particularly in bringing needed correction, and in do it in the spirit of humility. And we also touched on the passage regarding the sowing to the flesh and, and sowing to the spirit. And it's my plan today, Lord willing, uh, to finish it out starting in verse 11. And today, Paul is summing up everything that he's taught us in the book of Galatians. Uh, expect to hear a lot of repetition, and uh, humans love repetition, and it's how babies learn, and really it's, it's how we all learn as well. When we hear things over and over again, it becomes part of our nature, and we can recite it, and we can learn it that way. And why shouldn't we hear the message of the gospel over and over again? Because that's what the message of Galatians is. It's a repeated message over and over again that we don't earn our salvation, there's nothing that we do to earn salvation by our own works, but that it is given to us as free grace by Christ himself. We were dead in our trespasses and sin and completely unable to do anything to change our condition. When the Lord Jesus himself called us into his kingdom, imputed his own righteousness to our account, and gave to each of us eternal life. So let's read all of Galatians 6 in order to set this in the proper context. So if you open your Bibles to Galatians 6, starting in verse 1. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing... He deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to, one, to another. For each one shall bear his own load. And let the one who has taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh." But may it never be that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, 
and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. So now verse 11 is an interesting verse. And it's not necessarily in flow with the rest of the text going from verse 10 to verse 12. And Martin Luther in his commentary uh, just completely skips over verse 11 and moves on to verse 12. But those who would skip over verse 11 uh, miss a couple of important points. Of those points, other commentators such as John Gill and John Calvin focus on the importance of the authorship of the Apostle Paul of this epistle and the importance of the message that Paul uh, would spend so much time in teaching about the futility of striving after the flesh to please God. Now that point is certainly true, um, but we might ask ourselves, what's meant when he says, by these large letters? Is Paul talking about the length of the epistle to the Galatians? Well, we have only one letter to the Galatians given to us in the Holy Scriptures. And while it is a long letter compared to modern letters being six chapters long, I'm not convinced that the large letters is really referring to the length of the epistle to the Galatians. Uh, I think it has more to do with the size of the letters that he's putting down on the paper. And Paul often dictated his letters to another who actually wrote the text. But he's telling us here in, in this verse that he's writing them by his own hand. Now, it's often assumed that the Apostle Paul had poor eyesight. And if you remember, Paul was blinded on the road to Damascus. Now, it is possible, although it is conjecture, that when Paul received back his sight at the hand of Ananias, that the Lord may have only given him a partial healing. We read in Acts 9 that something like scales fell from Paul's eyes uh, when he regained his sight. And then we read also in Mark chapter 8, that even our Lord healed a blind man one time, and he only received a partial healing for a time before our Lord continued to heal him completely. So it is conceivable that Paul's vision was never quite the same as it was before his Damascus Road experience. And that could have been for the purpose of keeping him humble or by making him dependent upon others. Uh, Paul was also beaten many times and suffered for the name of Christ. So it's entirely possible that his eyesight was affected in those beatings and stonings in which he suffered. We're given another hint of that in Galatians 4.15. That reads, Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. That's Galatians 4.15. So why would Paul have said that the Galatians uh, would have been willing to pluck out their own eyes and given them to him had his eyesight not been affected. We're also not told what Paul's thorn in the flesh was in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. It reads, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. 
So again, it is conjecture to say that even this thorn was a physical infirmity, but it certainly seems reasonable as his body was abused by those who hated his message. So in addition to the point of the great importance of the topic of authorship of Paul that both Gill and Calvin pointed out, I also see an important point here that Paul suffered physical infirmities that he dealt with until his death. And this flies in the face of those who would claim that it is always God's will for his children to walk in perfect health and in perfect wealth. If the Apostle Paul himself struggled with something as common as bad eyesight, is that not an encouragement to each of us as we deal with our failing physical bodies in this fallen world? And I believe that John Gill and John Calvin didn't necessarily feel the need to point this out because it was only in the last century that false teachers have arisen and tried to claim that it's always God's will to heal his children. In a day in which paper was scarce and expensive, why would Paul write with large letters in his own hand? And it very well could have been to point out his own weakness and his dependence upon Christ and his disciples for their help knowing that he didn't do the rest of the epistle in this way, but maybe this one section. All of God's children will be completely healed, but oftentimes this doesn't happen until our deaths. And the case in point here is that at this very moment, the Apostle Paul enjoys perfect health with his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in heaven, in spite of all the suffering that he incurred here on earth. Now, considering the importance of the argument, I'm sorry, considering the argument of the importance of the text, we see that verse 11 does flow nicely into verses 12 and 13. So then John Gill and John Calvin may have had a point here. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. So here Paul begins his summary of the entire epistle and how appropriate it is here for him to insert it in the last few verses of Galatians. Throughout the entirety of Galatians, Paul has declared the folly of trusting in the physical act of circumcision as being necessary for salvation. Martin Luther summarizes what Paul is saying in these two verses by saying, Quote, the teachers you have do not care for Christ's glory and the salvation of your souls, but only seek their own glory. Second, they shun the cross. And third, they do not understand what they teach. So the Judaizers in particular uh, wanted to synchronize the worship of Christ with the religion of Judaism. And in this way, they felt uh, that they would not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now Solomon said that there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, Pagans throughout the centuries have sought to merge Christianity with their existing religions. The Roman tradition of praying to saints comes from the pagan concepts of the plurality of gods. And Satan doesn't mind if you want to take Christ and add him to your list of all the other gods that you worship. But what Satan really doesn't want is for us to worship Christ alone. And the Christ alone was the call of the Reformation that brought us into to this teaching that we read right here in Galatians. 
The concept wasn't limited to ancient pagans. As we mentioned, the Roman Catholic Church continues it today. And also the fad seems to have largely passed where you see that bumper sticker on the back of cars that says coexist. But unfortunately, that philosophy still permeates our culture today. In the modern religion of multiculturalism and so-called tolerance, Christianity is the only religion that's not tolerated. And that is due to its exclusivity. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. That's a message that the world cannot tolerate. And a true Christian cannot affirm that salvation exists in any other name other than the name of Christ. We're not saved by keeping the law. Whether this is the law of circumcision given to the Jews or even the Ten Commandments themselves. The Judaizers compared others to be, compelled others to be circumcised. And you could be certain that these Judaizers were they themselves circumcised. This was also the same group as the Pharisees that we read about in the Gospels. They were concerned about the outward show rather than the inward change of the heart. So hear what Jesus told them in Matthew 15, verses 7 through 9. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Now conversion to Judaism certainly meant circumcision for the men. Several chapters later in Matthew 23:15, Jesus again tells the Pharisees, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. So Jesus had no tolerance for outward show with no true repentance or change of heart. To the Judaizers, uh, these Galatian converts were no more than another tally mark on their scorecards. Um, perpetuating the Jewish religion. And isn't that what we see similar happening today? Uh, Modern Christianity has made it all about a numbers game. Um, It is boasting in the flesh when churches concentrate on the number of seats in the pews or the number of dollars in the offering plate. And many seem to be building organizations all for the sake of just building organizations. So we must ask ourselves, why? And why do we want new members here at Northwest Bible Church? Is it so that we can boast of of growing a huge church right here in Oklahoma City? Or is it even the more admirable goals of wanting to help the poor or feed the hungry? Uh, Now, while those things can and should be done, we need to make sure and keep the main thing the main thing, as Paul puts it in verse 14. But may it never be, that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So Northwest Bible Church exists for the glory of God. It's not about you and me. Uh, It's not about building a huge church. We worship our risen King and give Him all the glory. And that is why each of us was created in the first place. If you remember the Westminster Shorter Catechism and the question number one, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So that is the reason we were created. 
not to build up ourselves or get any sort of great reputations here. We preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the good news of the gospel. And this verse also brings in our sanctification. As we become more and more like Christ, then the world is, is as if we were crucified to us and we to the world. So when we could consider what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have, has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. That was from 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 18. So as the Lord works his sanctification in us, he changes our desires. We no longer want to, be, to identify with the world and its fleshly appeals. We long for communion with Christ, and we eagerly wait for his appearing. This reminds us of the verse from Galatians 2.20, which reads, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So being crucified to the world means that we prefer the things of God to the things of the world. And we would rather enjoy the fellowship of the saints than the party at nightclubs, for instance, with the world. Uh, The darkness that we may have enjoyed before our salvation is no longer appealing to us. We begin to see places of darkness as great mission fields where the gospel needs to be proclaimed. When I worked at at Lifeway Christian Resources in Nashville, Tennessee, I had a small group of friends, uh, and we would routinely go use our lunch hour to go out on the streets of Nashville and uh, share the gospel there. Two of our favorite spots were on the sidewalks outside of both of a local strip club, for one, and then also outside of Planned Parenthood. And while we were certainly mocked at times by those entering those facilities, Uh, doing that created a bond between us that remains strong to this day. And I don't remember getting any clear indications that our gospel message made a huge difference at the club. Uh, We can only trust what we read in Isaiah 53, I'm sorry, 55, 11. So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So it is possible that the word word preached planted a a seed in the hearts of those entering that club. It's also possible that if any entering that place were actually professed believers in Christ, that the Holy Spirit would have certainly used our presence to bring needed conviction into their hearts and to lead them into repentance. We did have better results during our time at Planned Parenthood, or at least outward results that we could see. We witnessed several babies that were saved over the course of the several years that we did this. And the time spent in sharing the gospel like this does involve a sacrifice. It costs us our time, 
Also, it endured, we endured the mocking or the bad language that was directed our way. <clears throat> but I have great memories of, of standing with my brothers outside those places of darkness and sharing the truth of the gospel uh, to those who didn't, know, who didn't know us and that we would probably never see them again. And I have no regrets of using any of my time in this wor- worthy pursuit. But things like that are the natural outflow of placing our faith in Christ. It's not a matter of saying to yourself, by moping around, saying, well, I'm a Christian now. I can't do the fun things that I used to do anymore. No, it's more along the lines of, I'm a Christian, and the sinful things that I used to do only brings me conviction if I do them now. And Lord, grant me the grace to live a life that's pleasing in your sight, not to earn my salvation again, but as an expression of my faith in you. So I've mentioned it before, but the epistle to the Galatians is very repetitive. Oftentimes, that's just what we need. We need to be reminded over and over and over again that salvation is by grace alone, not by the works of the flesh, and that this salvation brings with it a desire for sanctification, whereby we are crucified with Christ. We daily die to ourselves and live to Christ. Verses 15 through 16 go on to declare that neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. This is supported by another of Paul's epistles. 2 Corinthians 5.17 reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. This new creation is a spiritual rebirth. And while the Judaizers wanted to concentrate on the flesh and and insist on physical circumcision, Paul is teaching that in Christ, these physical works of the law, including circumcision, is irrelevant. It's the heart that matters. And when I say that the works of the law don't matter, I'm not saying that they're useless. I'm saying that they do not justify us. We do the works of the law in response to our salvation, not in order to obtain it. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 2, verses, and we're going to read verses 25 through 29. I don't think I have a slide on this, but we'll see. Nope. So let's go on to Romans 2, 25 through 29. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law, and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Now that does lead nicely into our next slide. Thank you, Eric. 
We read in Galatians 6, 16. <clears throat> and those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So the rule is trusting Christ alone and not the works of the law for your justification. Those who walk by this rule experience peace and mercy. And those who rebel against this rule will experience terror and judgment. Paul also calls those who are trusting in Christ alone the Israel of God. So what does that mean? If we think back to what we just read out of Romans, the Israel of God is God's chosen people. This is His church whom He has redeemed. He elected them from the foundation of the world. Some have accused those who understand Scripture this way as having, quote, replacement theology. And they say that we claim that the church has replaced Israel as God's chosen people. Well, the, those Old Testament believers were not saved through their animal sacrifices. Uh, the church has always been God's chosen people. And the Old Testament believers were not saved through their keeping of the law. They weren't saved through their keeping of circumcision. They were saved through faith in the promised Messiah, in the one who was to come. Uh, they, they could be described as the church even before the incarnation of Christ. And they lived with types and shadows surrounding them that pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ, though they did not yet know His name as Jesus yet. As early as Genesis 4.1, it's possible that Eve thought that Cain would be the chosen Messiah. So reading here out of the NASB, it reads, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Now in the NASB, the words, the help of, are in italics, which means that they were added for our clarity. So the phrase literally reads, I have gotten a man with the Lord. And obviously Cain was far from being the Messiah, but it's possible that the expectation and the anticipation of the coming Messiah could even be seen here in this, these early chapters of Genesis. Right before the benediction, Paul ends his letter by declaring, From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Now though Paul himself was circumcised, uh, this was not the mark on his body that identified him with Christ. Um, he had many marks on his body. Uh, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-two through twenty through 33 Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews thirty-nine lashes, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, 
dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Artus the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and so escaped his hands. Now these are the duty hazards that Paul endured as a true believer. And it's amazing that he lived through all these persecutions, but it's obviously God's will that he would live and that he would go on and write epistles to the churches that we benefit from today. But I want to ask you this morning, are you willing to endure and to be spent in such a way that Paul was for the sake of Christ? And does Christ mean enough to you that you will bear on your body the brand marks of Jesus? Now, our country was founded on biblical principles. And to this day, we enjoy the lingering benefits that our founders left us. But day by day, we seem to be losing those Christian freedoms. Uh, society used to expect that everyone was a professing Christian. Uh, atheism was shameful. And today, that's reversed. Uh, it's taken for granted that people uh, don't believe in God and that those who do are often considered weak. And in past days, it was typically very easy to be a Christian and more difficult to be an atheist. Uh, now it's easier to be an atheist and becoming increasingly more difficult to be a Christian. And thankfully, we've had, not had to endure what the Apostle Paul had to endure in his day. Um, but it's possible that the day may come even here in America, where that could be the case. And if that day comes, brothers and sisters, it won't be your adherence to the law um, that gives you the perseverance that you need to endure to the end. It will be your unshakable faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the promises that He has given to each one of His own that will give us the strength to stand. Now, Paul ends his letter in verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. So it's entirely appropriate that in Paul's final words to the Galatians, he would ask for the grace of the Lord Jesus to be with them. And for those of you who were here Wednesday night, that verse should look very familiar. Uh, we listened to our very last message of Steve Lawson's uh, series on Philippians. He spent the entire message expounding the very last verse of the epistle to the Philippians. The, that verse reads, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So it's almost identical here to what we see in Galatians. In fact, Brother Lawson mentioned that every one of Paul's epistles ends with this blessing. That the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You go home and look them up. You'll see that in Colossians. You'll see it in 1st 2 Corinthians the letters to Timothy, and so on and so forth. And um, he mentioned that every one of them ends with this blessing of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Because grace is so foundational that it permeates Paul's writings. In fact, here in Galatians, 
we see that Paul begins his epistle also calling for the grace of God upon the Galatians. So backing all the way up back to chapter 1 and verse 3, we read, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the book ends in the way that it started. It's a request that they would have a greater measure of God's grace. And this frames the book, makes it clear uh, that the Christian life is, is so lived by grace uh, that we entered the kingdom of God by grace through our justification. We advance in the kingdom of God by grace through our sanctification. And it will be by grace that our bodies will experience glorification at the last day. So we, let's ask ourselves, what is grace? Grace means unmerited, undeserved favor from God. And it's impossible to live the Christian life without the grace of Christ. The grace of Christ conforms us to the image of Christ. Just as we talked about in verse 14 earlier. Grace gives us the ability to boast only in the cross of Christ. And finally, his prayer is that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ beware. He's prayed that it would be with our spirit. God's grace should penetrate deep into our innermost being. Um, it should permeate throughout our body. Just as our human spirit indwells us, uh, the core of our being, so much so that the scripture often refers to it as our heart, is the place where this, our spirit resides. And so he ends the epistle with the word, Amen, or so let it be. And so in conclusion, that we've, we've seen that any and all boasting in the flesh is futile. Paul's flesh was nothing to boast about. Uh, whether that was the stripes upon his back or his poor eyesight. But we boast in Christ alone, who bore upon himself the penalty for our sins on that cruel cross. We the church are the Israel of God, and the true Israel of God will bear the brand marks of Jesus Christ upon them. And may each of us be blessed to endure the light affliction that our brother James tells us about in exchange for the eternal glory which has been won for us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.